0: Welcome to Epic. My name is Jake Snowden. I am the group's lead here at Epic. Thank you so much for worshiping with us in person today. And if you are joining us uh, from home or online, wherever you are, thank you so much for taking the time to worship with us uh, online as well. Now, before we jump into the text for today, I've got, uh, I'm curious, by a show of hands, do we have any movie buffs in the house today? We got any movie buffs? All right, a few hands going up. But who who enjoys watching movies? Who enjoys watching movies? All right. All right. Now, what I'm curious, there's, kinds of, there's two kinds of people when it comes to watching movies. You either like to go to the theater and watch it, a brand new movie on the big screen, or you prefer to watch from the comfort of your own home. So I'm going to take a pulse of the room in just a moment, but if you're watching this from home, you can, you can participate too, so just go ahead and type in the comments, couch or theater, and let us know your preference. So who enjoys getting a giant overpriced and oversized bucket of popcorn, getting your candies, your giant soda, walking into a dark theater and watching the movie as soon as it comes out. Where are you guys at? All right. Okay. Okay. Good number of you. Now, who would prefer to put on something comfortable, stay at home, maybe ordering a pizza, ordering some Chinese? Where are you guys at? Still a few more. The first surface, it was overwhelming. Stay home and watch from the comfort of your home. Here it was a little more 60-40, but still in preference of stay at home. Now, what is it that we love so much about the movies? Uh, Do we really just enjoy watching people suffer? Do we enjoy watching people face insurmountable struggles or getting their heart broken? Well, that's part of it, that's part of almost every movie is that, is that friction, is that conflict. But I think what we like so much about the movies is we love seeing how people can overcome that conflict and overcome the challenges in their life because then it inspires us that, hey, Maybe I can overcome the challenges in my life as well. You know, I'm sure many of you have seen uh, a movie like the Rocky movies, right? Who's seen the Rocky movies? Now, don't you just set your alarm a little bit earlier the next day after watching a Rocky movie? Because you think that you can get out there and go jogging at 4.30 in the morning just like The Rock, right? And so we kind of, movies inspire us because it helps us think how we in our own lives can overcome the challenges that we are facing. Well, today we're uh, continuing on in our series called Unbelievable. And we're looking at how God makes the unbelievable believable. We've been in the the book of Acts the past few weeks, and we've been following the life and growth of the early church. And the more that you read through the book of Acts, the more you'll see that it plays out very much like an action or adventure movie. And so if if you're new to this whole thing, the church, today we're really focusing on the growth and the persecution that the early church faced. And so if you are a Christ follower, this hits home with you because you are part of the church. But for those of you who might be new to your faith or you're checking out and you're maybe wouldn't consider yourself a Christ follower, I want to encourage you to stay with me because there's some moments here in the message where you're going to see these unbelievable uh, elements of forgiveness and ways that we can love people who have wronged us. So stay with me. Now in Acts, Acts 1 verse 8, Jesus gave his followers a mission As he commissioned them by saying, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, throughout Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. If you were with us last week, Pastor Trent shared with us how the early church was formed in Jerusalem and how they devoted themselves to four things. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teachings, spending time together at church and in each other's homes, They devoted themselves to praying for each other and serving each other. And this was the culture of the early church. And during this time, the the church experienced unbelievable growth, as Trent spoke about last week. And it says in Acts 2.47 that each day the Lord added to to their fellowship those who were being saved. Now, as we move into Acts chapter 3, it's going to begin with Peter and John walking up to the temple to pray. And on their way to the temple, they're going to pass by this beggar and he's been crippled uh, for over 40 years. And so Peter and John are just walking to the temple to pray, and they lock eyes with this beggar when he asks them for some money. And something truly unbelievable is about to take place here because Peter doesn't just throw a couple of coins in there and keep walking. No, Peter does something truly remarkable. It says here in Acts 3.6, Peter responds by saying, I don't have any silver or gold for you, but I'll give you what I have in the name of Jesus Christ the Nazarene, get up and walk. Then Peter took the lame man by the right hand and helped him up. And as he did, the man's feet and ankles were instantly healed and strengthened. He jumped up, stood on his feet, and began to walk. Then walking, leaping, and praising God, he went into the temple with them. Now, this is the first miracle performed by the early church. In the previous chapter... Peter, empowered by the Holy Spirit, gave the early church's very first sermon. And so now we have the church, early church, performing their first miracle. But Peter's the first one to bring to everyone's attention that this is nothing to do with him. It's not his power. Peter realizes that it is the power of the Holy Spirit who is now working through the life of the church. And so, of course, in this moment, all the onlookers were amazed to see this crippled man jump up and start walking and leaping and dancing. And listen to how Peter addresses the crowd in verse 12. See, Peter sees this as an opportunity. And so Peter says, he saw his opportunity and addressed the crowd. People of Israel, he said, what is so surprising about this? And why stare at us as though though we had made this man walk by our own power or godliness? He goes on to say in verse 16, through faith in the name of Jesus, this man was healed. And you know how crippled he was before. Faith in Jesus' name has healed him before your very eyes. This is truly unbelievable. Now, at this point in history, things are going so good in the early church. Now, have you ever had a moment in your life or a period in your life? Could be a couple of days, a couple of weeks, a couple of months, maybe a couple of years, and it just seems like everything is going your way, like everything's going right. You know, you get a, you get a promotion, uh, somebody gives you, blesses your family with a car, you just get lumps of money coming in from different places, and you're like, wow, we are just truly being blessed. Has anybody ever experienced a moment, you can do a humble brag, you know, God blesses people, you know, that, that does happen, and so, have you ever had that moment where it seems like everything is just going right, and then you get a little bit suspicious, you're like, man, it's almost going a little bit too good, isn't it, right, and, and we, we've seen that in our lives, right? Now... You've probably noticed that in the movies. What happens in the movies when it seems like everything is finally coming together? And it seems like the guy finally gets the girl. The hero beats the villain. And you're like, well, wait a minute. We've only been watching this movie for about an hour. There's no way this movie is over. I paid $12 to be here. This movie is not over yet. And you, but halfway through the movie, it seems like it's over. And just when things are going so good, what happens? It's like the rug gets pulled out right from underneath your feet, and it all falls apart, right? Just when you're thinking you've won, everything collapses. The villain comes back more determined than ever. The, 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 the girl learns that the guy who she thought was just so special and they were fated to be together that maybe the guy did something a little shady in how they got together. What she thought was a serendipitous moment was just a calculated maneuver by this guy who secretly learned all he could about the girl, so he could make her think that they were soulmates, right? You've seen this played out, right? That's every romantic comedy, right? Uh, But I'm, I'm sure you've seen this over and over in the movies, maybe even in your own life. And now the second half of the movie, the hero must claw and fight their way back to overcome all these new challenges and obstacles that they're facing. Well, let's look at what's about to happen to the early church. If you have your Bibles, you can go ahead and turn to Acts chapter 4. And up until now, the early church had experienced unbelievable growth. Thousands of people are giving their lives to Christ and getting baptized. Now the apostles are performing miracles. And just as things are going so unbelievably good, guess who shows up? Just like clockwork, the religious leaders. So here we are, Acts chapter 4, verse 1. It says, while Peter and John were speaking to the people, they were confronted by the priest, the captain of the temple guard, and some of the Sadducees. These leaders were very disturbed that Peter and John were teaching the people that through Jesus, there is a resurrection of the dead. They, were arrest- they arrested them, and since it was already evening, put them in jail until morning. So just like in the movies, or maybe even in your own life, just when things are going a bit too good, suddenly it all comes to a screeching halt. Just like that, Peter and John are thrown in jail. And then over the next few chapters, you're just going to see example after example of how the early church endured unbelievable persecution. So the next day, they bring Peter and John before a whole entourage of teachers of the law, the high priest, and members of the high priest's family, and they begin to question the apostles. Let's pick it up in verse 7. It says, By what power or in whose name have you done this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers and elders of our people, are we being questioned today because we have done a good deed for a crippled man? Do you want to know how he was healed? Let me clearly state to all of you and to all the people of Israel that he was healed by the powerful name of Jesus Christ, the Nazarene, the man you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead. For Jesus is the one referred to in the scriptures where it says, the stone that you builders rejected has now become the cornerstone. I love this verse here in verse 12. Peter says, there is salvation in no one else." God has given no other name under heaven by which we must be saved. I mean, come on, Peter is throwing it down right here. He's being accused, and he comes back and says, This is the guy whom you crucified. Oh, by the way, in him, he's the only way to salvation. You see, the religious leaders, they believe that the way to salvation was through their good works, through their own self righteousness. And they also would use the law. Is a way to control the common people, to show that they were closer to God and that they were worthy, but that the common people were not. So in verse 16, they dismiss the disciples and they try to come up with a plan. It says, what should we do with these men, they ask each other. We can't deny that they have, been, that they have performed a miraculous sign, and everybody in Jerusalem knows about it. But to keep them from speaking their propaganda any further, we must warn them not to speak to anyone in Jesus' name again. So they called the apostles back in and commanded them never to speak or teach in the name of Jesus. All right, so where are my parents at today? Do we got any parents in the room? We got any parents? We got any parents online? All right. You've probably seen this conversation in your own life, right? Kids are doing something they're not supposed to do, and so you draw their attention, like, Peter, John, come here, look at me. Eyes up here, look at me. Now, you are never, ever, ever, ever to speak in the name of Jesus again and then what do we always say or else right we always start with a threat or else and so here that the apostles are threatened to never speak in the name of Jesus and when persecution sets in it always begins with a threat they were threatened with a do not speak or teach in the name of Jesus or else so peter and john they could have just sat there nodded said okay whatever you guys say goes but instead that's not what happens. They fire back by saying, do you think God wants us to obey you rather than him? We cannot stop telling, we cannot stop telling about everything we have seen and heard. The council then threatened them further, but they finally let them go because they didn't know how to punish them without starting a riot. For everyone was praising God for this miraculous sign, the healing of a man who'd been lame for more than 40 years look, I don't really like to use the word persecution when I'm talking to Christ followers who are living in the United States today because as a whole, I truly don't think that we know what it's like to face persecution the way that the early church did or maybe even the way that Christ followers do in some other countries in the world today. But we all do experience suffering on some level, don't we? And maybe you know what it's like to receive verbal threats. Maybe you've even been asked to stop talking about Jesus, to stop sharing your faith, to stop wearing a Christian t-shirt or a shirt that has a Bible verse on it. Maybe in school, maybe in your workplace, maybe in your social media interactions, maybe even at a, at a dinner table with your own family, and you've been asked to stop talking about Jesus. And so how do you respond when you've been threatened? Do you back down? Do you remain silent? Now, judging by Peter and John's response, do you think there's any chance that they remain silent? No. You'll see in the very next chapter, they're at it again, performing miraculous signs and wonders among the people. Let's read in Acts 5, verse 14 to 16. It says, yet more and more people believed and were brought to the Lord, crowds of both men and women. As a result of the apostles' work, sick people were brought out into the streets on beds and mats so that Peter's shadow might fall across some of them as he went by. Crowds came from villages around Jerusalem, bringing their sick and those possessed by evil spirits, and they were all healed. The apostles were threatened, but they didn't stay silent. Instead, they responded with unbelievable boldness. How do you think the high priests and teachers of the law reacted to their boldness, to their refusal to stay quiet? Well, it says in verse 17 that they were filled with jealousy. So they arrested the apostles, and they put them in the public jail. Now, the first time that the apostles uh, were arrested, they were put in the temple jail. And this was, basically, this was basically a timeout, right? But now that they're put into, they're imprisoned in the public jail, so this means they are really serious about it this time. You know, when the apostles were threatened the first time, they responded with unbelievable boldness. But now the apostles are in prison, and we're going to see how God responds with unbelievable deliverance. It says in the middle of the night, here we are in verse 19, but an angel of the Lord came at night, opened the gates of the jail, and brought them out. God responds with unbelievable deliverance by sending an angel to free them from their chains. And then the angel gave them this command. The angel said, go, go to the temple and give the people this message of life. So the next morning, Peter, John, and the apostles are right back in the temple courts teaching about Jesus. Now, meanwhile, while they were being rescued uh, from jail by an angel the high priest had called together all the members of the Sanhedrin. And this was no easy task. Now, if you're not sure what the Sanhedrin is, uh, in AD 70, the Sanhedrin was the highest ruling authority for the Jewish people. It consisted of 71 religious elders, and they would try cases dealing with false prophets or issues concerning the high priest. So somehow in the middle of the night... Without using email or social media or text messaging, they're able to get all members of the Sanhedrin together. This shows you how big of a deal this truly is. Now, the Sanhedrin, they would sit together in a semicircle with the accused right here in the middle, and this is where they would try them. And so there must have been this moment where they're like, okay, bring in the prisoners. How would you have liked to have been that guy who had to go and fetch the prisoners? You get to the jail cell, you pull out your keys, you unlock the door, you open it up, And there's no prisoners. There's nobody in there. And now you have to go back in front of the Sanhedrin and say, "Yeah." So about those guys that you wanted me to go get, I opened up the opened up the jail cell. I remember locking it. I remember locking it last night. I opened it up today, and no one was in there. And you're shaking. You're trembling. But just as you're you're there and you're at a loss for words and you're afraid of what's going to happen, someone else comes running in, and they're like, "You're not going to believe what's happening." Right now, in the temple courts, those guys that you arrested and put in jail, they're out there, and they're teaching that Jesus is the Messiah. Like, this is just insane. And there must have been such a loss of, like, what is going on? So so they bring Peter, John, and the apostles in, and, and the account here that Luke writes in the Gospel of Acts, he doesn't show any dialogue that they even asked how they got out of jail. They just got right to the point here. In verse, verse 28, it says, we gave you strict orders never to teach in this man's name. Instead, you have filled all Jerusalem with your teaching about him, and you want to make us responsible for his death. So once again, Peter speaks up and says, we must obey God rather than any human authority. When they heard this, the high council was furious and decided to kill him. The apostles, by listening to the command that that was given to them by the angel of the Lord, and they go back and start teaching, they basically took a prison sentence, and it now instantly became a death sentence. And there's no doubt that it would have ended in death at that moment. They probably would have been stoned if it wasn't for a certain Pharisee by the name of Gamaliel. Now, Gamaliel, he was a very respected Pharisee. And listen to what he says. He convinces the council to leave these men alone. He says, let them go. If they are planning and doing these things merely on their own, it will soon be overthrown. But if it is from God, you will not be able to overthrow them. You may even find yourselves fighting against God. Verse 40, the others accepted his advice. They called in the apostles and had them flogged. Then they ordered them never again to speak in the name of Jesus, and they let them go. Now, flogging was a pretty serious beating. If you remember, Jesus, just before he was crucified, he was flogged, and Jesus was being tried for blasphemy, and so he received 39 lashes. And so the apostles here, they would have been uh, being tried for blasphemy as well. So it's quite possible that they received 39 lashes as well. And then what happens next is nothing short of unbelievable. Unbelievable. And this, this, is, this is difficult for me to read and it might be difficult for you because this is not how I respond when I face suffering, when I face adversity, especially when I feel like I'm acting in obedience to God. But this will blow your mind away. In 41, it says, the apostles left the high council rejoicing that God had counted them worthy to suffer. Rejoicing that God had counted them worthy to suffer disgrace for the name of Jesus And every day in the temple, and from house to house, they continued to teach and preach this message: that Jesus is the Messiah. When you experience suffering in your own life, do you ever find yourself rejoicing? It seems like it doesn't even make sense. Do you do you find yourself rejoicing when you're going through difficult times? I mean, let's just be honest. When we're going through difficult times, what do we usually end up doing? We end up complaining, right? Any complainers out there when you're going, through? yeah, because you want, to, you want to tell someone how bad your life is, and then maybe they'll tell you how bad their life is, and you won't feel as bad. But we don't spend time rejoicing. It says here to rejoice. James 1, 2 to 4 says, when troubles of any kind come your way, consider it an opportunity for great joy. Anybody consider their trials opportunities? Consider it an opportunity for great joy, for you know that when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow. So let it grow, for when your endurance is fully developed, you will be perfect and complete, needing nothing. The apostles were threatened, but they responded with unbelievable boldness. The apostles were imprisoned, but God responded with unbelievable deliverance. The apostles, they were beaten and they responded with unbelievable joy. So, church, what is your response when you face adversity today? Are you able to to be bold and joyful? Do you have faith and trust that God will deliver you from whatever circumstance you are facing? How often in our lives today do we stop? Do we become silent? and we stop talking about Jesus and sharing the good news because we come up against a little bit of resistance. Church, I want to encourage you today that no matter what your situation, no matter what your circumstance, no matter how unbelievable your adversity, I want to encourage you to never give up on sharing the gospel. Never give up on sharing the gospel, because the, world, because the world needs something that you have. If you have Jesus in you, you have the way, the truth, the life in you. And that is, that is a message that needs to get out to the ends of the earth. You see the enemy? The enemy will use trials and suffering and persecution to try to stop you. The enemy is going to throw things at you to try to shut you up, to try to keep you in check, and to try to beat you down, maybe even threaten your life. I want to tell you about a young man named Stephen. Stephen would become the first martyr of the early church. You can find his story in Acts chapter 6 to 7. And as you go through the spiritual growth challenge this week, you're going to have a chance to read all about Stephen. But Stephen is described as a man full of God's grace and power. He would often publicly teach and debate in the synagogue His knowledge and his wisdom and his debating skills, they were so impressive that it says in Acts 6.10 that no one could stand against the wisdom and the spirit with which Stephen spoke. Verse 11, so they persuaded some men to lie about Stephen. And they said, we heard him blaspheme Moses and even God. This roused the people, the elders, and the teachers of, of religious law. So they arrested Stephen and they brought him before the Sanhedrin. They have falsely accused him of blasphemy. He's brought before the Sanhedrin. And then in Acts chapter 7, Stephen is going to give a very detailed account about Israel's history. He's going to show them that throughout their entire history, any time that God brought along a chosen person or God brought along a prophet, that Israel turned their back on him and they rejected him. They would often often accuse and abuse and persecute the chosen people that God brought to Israel. He's gonna take that account all the way back to Moses and Joseph. And listen to his boldness as Stephen cries out before the Sanhedrin. Verse 51, he says, you stubborn people, you are heathen at heart and deaf to the truth. Must you forever resist the Holy Spirit? That's what your ancestors did, and so do you. He says, name one prophet who your ancestors didn't persecute. They even killed the ones who predicted the coming of the righteous one, the Messiah whom you betrayed and murdered. You deliberately disobeyed God's law, even though you received it from the hands of angels. You know, Jesus himself made a similar accusation against Jerusalem in Matthew 23. Jesus said, therefore, I'm sending you prophets and wise men and teachers of religious law but you will kill some by crucifixion and you will flog others with whips in your synagogues, chasing them from city to city. Verse 37, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones God's messengers. Stephen calls them out for resisting the Holy Spirit and for killing the righteous one. Then in verse 55 says, But Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, Stephen gazed steadily into heaven, and he saw the glory of God, and he saw Jesus standing in the place of honor at God's right hand, and he told them, look, I see the heavens open and the Son of Man standing in the place of honor at God's right hand. At this point, the religious leaders, they couldn't take it anymore, so they dragged Stephen out of the the city, and they pushed him down into a pit, and at this point, the mob began to pick up stones. And they would take these big, heavy stones and they would begin to hurl them down at Stephen. And one at a time, these stones, they would hit his head, hit his arms, his feet. And what they were doing is they were trying to hit his heart, break his bones, make his lungs collapse. And see, death would take place in the stoning when the bones and the organs would collapse so much that you could no longer breathe. Stephen's in this pit. Just taking them blow after blow after blow. Verse 59, as they stoned him, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. He fell to his knees shouting, Lord, don't charge them with this sin. And with that, he died. The next verse in Acts 8.1 says, Saul was one of the witnesses and he completely agreed with the killing of Stephen. You may recognize that name, Saul. He would later become Paul. We're going to talk about him next week. And I want to encourage you, if you have ever doubted whether or not God could choose you, I want to make sure you're here next week. Because this man, Saul, is standing here holding the jackets of those who are throwing the stones, giving full approval. And Saul, he would go on And he would start dragging men and women out of their homes. Anyone who declared to be a Christian, a Christ follower, he would drag them out. And he would make sure that they they were punished, that, that they were imprisoned, that they were stoned. But you know what? God uses him. I doubt that anybody in here or anybody watching online today has a past as bad as Saul. And so if you've ever wondered, if you've ever doubted if God could use you despite your past, make sure you're here next week because you're going to see how God uses someone who persecuted the church. Stephen's being stoned to death. He looked up at his accusers, and this is how he responded in the face of adversity. He responded with unbelievable forgiveness. I don't know if you can get more Christ-like than that. Than when you forgive those who are persecuting you, even to the point of death, you remember when Jesus was on the cross, it, at the height of his persecution and torture, he cries out and he says, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. This would be another first for the early church is Stephen would become the first of many martyrs who would die for their faith. Now, up until this point, the early church, they had remained in Jerusalem But if you remember the verse I shared at the very beginning today in Acts 1-8, they weren't supposed to stay in Jerusalem. Jesus says, you will be my witnesses, telling telling people about me everywhere, in Jerusalem, throughout Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Peter, John, the apostles, and Stephen, they've been busy proclaiming the name of Jesus in Jerusalem. But now something very significant is about to take place. After Stephen was stoned to death and martyred for his faith, it says a great wave of persecution began that day, sweeping over the church in Jerusalem. And all the believers except the apostles were scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria. Verse 4, but the believers who were scattered preached the good news about Jesus wherever they went. See, they thought they could make an example out of Stephen, putting an end to everyone who was preaching about Jesus, but instead it did just the opposite. Over the next few chapters, the gospel is gonna to begin to spread into Judea and into Samaria. Philip is gonna take the good news to Samaria, and he's even gonna encounter an Ethiopian prince on the road to Gaza, and that Ethiopian prince is gonna say, hey, there's some water right there. What's keeping me from getting baptized right now? And he's gonna baptize them. Peter's gonna take the gospel and share it to a centurion named Cornelius. Cornelius and his entire household are going to believe and are saved. The gospel is expanding into Judea, Samaria, moving into new geographical regions, breaking down barriers of ethnicity and race. Non Jews, Gentiles, Ethiopians, Romans, Greeks are now hearing the gospel and they are being added to the number. See, the Sanhedrin, they thought that they could stop the movement of this early church. But look around. We're still here. We're still here because of their unbelievable response in the face of adversity. The church was not defeated. This persecution only led to an explosion of the gospel. Despite unbelievable persecution, the church expanded because of their unbelievable response in the midst of suffering. It's unbelievable. Now, Just before Stephen was martyred, there's something very unique that happened in verse 56. I want to go back and look at it. Stephen was given a vision. And Stephen said, look, I see the heavens opened and the Son of Man standing. I see the Son of Man standing in the place of honor at God's right hand. And you know, every other time in scripture where it talks about Jesus at God's right hand, what's he doing? Sitting. He's sitting. Every other instance, Jesus is sitting. But Stephen says, look, I see him standing. So why is Jesus standing? I believe there's two reasons why Jesus is standing. One, when royalty stands, it's either out of anger or out of honor for the person before them. I believe Jesus, he must have been angry at those who were hurling those stones down towards Stephen. But I believe Jesus is standing out of honor and out of respect for Stephen. Jesus may have been standing out of unbelievable honor for this faithful martyr who would preach the gospel with unbelievable boldness. The second reason, Jesus was standing as a witness on Stephen's behalf. Stephen was confessing God before men, and in turn, Jesus is confessing Stephen before God. Church, if you are willing to take a stand for Jesus in this life, Jesus will be willing to take a stand for you in the next life. Matthew 10.32 says, Everyone who acknowledges me publicly here on earth, I will also acknowledge before my Father in heaven. And so are you willing to take a stand for Jesus? Even when times get tough, even when you face unbelievable persecution, Are you willing to take a stand for Jesus? Taking a stand for Jesus, it it doesn't mean that all your troubles are going to magically go away. I mean, just look at what we've covered here in Acts 3 to Acts chapter 8. The troubles and the persecution in the early church, it didn't go away. Jesus himself said, here on earth you will have many trials and sorrows, but take heart because I have overcome the world. I love this verse here in Romans 8.18. And this, this verse was written by Saul who would become Paul, the man who was standing there giving approval to Stephen's death. He would go on to write this and he says, yet what we suffer now is nothing. What we suffer now is nothing compared to the glory he will reveal to us later. See, the early church endured unbelievable persecution, but what I think is even more unbelievable is how they responded in the face of adversity. They would not be silenced. The apostles responded with unbelievable boldness. They responded with unbelievable hope and expectation that no matter what they were facing, that God would deliver them. They responded with unbelievable joy in the midst of chaos, they responded with unbelievable forgiveness for their oppressors. What about you? When I say that right there, they were able to forgive those who oppressed them. Are there people in your life that maybe you need to forgive? people in your life that you need to say, God, don't hold that sin against them. Just take a moment and think about where your persecution comes from. It might come from threats. It might come from uh, something physical. It might come from something intentional that somebody did. They harmed you, whether intentional or unintentional. How are you responding with your suffering? And Stephen took that last stone to his head. Jesus responded by honoring Stephen as he stood at the right hand of God and acknowledged him. Unbelievable persecution can be overcome with unbelievable reaction. As we close today, I want you to consider how you've been reacting and responding in the face of adversity. Has your adversity caused you to be silent? Has it it caused you to lose your hope in God's deliverance? Has it stolen your joy? Has your adversity made it difficult to forgive those who wronged you? If so, here's my hope for you today. That you can learn from these men, from Peter and from John and from Stephen. That you can learn and see how they faced adversity and that it can inspire us to do the same. Unbelievable persecution can be overcome with unbelievable reaction. I want to invite you all to stand as we close. We're going to respond in a time of worship. And this song that we're going to sing together is a song called Firm Foundation. And I just want to read through some of the lyrics that we're going to sing together. It says, Christ is my firm foundation, the rock on which I stand. When everything around me is shaken, I've never been more glad. Can you say that? When everything around me is shaken, I've never been more glad that I've put my faith in Jesus because He's never let me down. He's faithful through generations. So why would He fail now? Let me tell you, church, He won't. He won't. Father, we thank you. Lord, we thank you, Lord, that you won't fail. Lord, that no matter what comes our way, Lord, that we consider it joy because we know that we are being tested. And so, Father, I pray, Lord, that that even now you will break down those walls, Lord, that we can forgive those who we thought were unforgivable. Lord, I pray for those of us in this room today, those watching online who need boldness, Lord, they feel like someone told me I can't talk about you, so I'm just being silent. God, I pray you break down that wall. Lord, give them that spirit of boldness. Let your spirit speak through them, God, so that we never stop proclaiming the name of Jesus. God, as we go through this world and face persecution and face suffering and face adversity, God, I pray that we can respond in a way that is holy and pleasing to you